Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here again this morning. I assume everybody's enjoying the little bit cooler weather. Nice out, as Pastor Volgas mentioned a little bit ago. You can take your Bibles and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we'll be spending our time this morning. We're going to be talking about the subject of pursuing true spirituality. Pursuing true spirituality. And if you have a bulletin, there's an insert you can use to follow along. As well as on our, uh, our makeshift screen this morning of a couple of old shower curtains. <laughs> We've got some VBS stuff going, so we can't get our normal screen pulled down. So hopefully you can see okay on, on uh, the alternate screen for now. <laughs> so I don't know that you can. <laughs> anyway, should you have your bulletin insert to follow along in? As we look at these uh, idea of these spiritual gifts that Paul talks about here. Now, if I uh, were to tell you that um, for my youngest daughter's third birthday, which is a few months out, uh, I was thinking about getting her something special for a birthday. And what I was thinking about getting her is an actual bar of gold. And I'm going to put it in a cardboard box and wrap it up and give it to her for her third birthday. So I've been trying to imagine what's going to happen if she were to open that gift on her birthday. She'll open up the wrapping paper, and she'll open up the box, she'd pull out this chunk of metal, and probably do what? Throw the chunk of metal aside and start playing with the box, right? Right? Then you would expect that at her level of maturity and understanding, not recognizing what you could do with a bar of gold, right? And this is completely hypothetical. It's not happening, people. <laughs> but I'm giving you some gifts if you ever give me something. No, <laughs> it's an idea, no. Uh, <clears throat> but she would not be able to appreciate the value of a bar of gold and what you could do with that, the way you could use that to bless other people in a lot of multitude of ways. The value would be overlooked of that. And that's because she simply just doesn't, doesn't resonate with her, right? A box is much more valuable to her because she can play with it right now and do something with it. She could collar on it. She could play in it. She could crawl in it, right? And, and we would understand that as parents. And as a parent, you've probably seen that happen even when you thought the gift was much more age-appropriate. You still see that. Oh, they throw that aside, play at the box. Okay, well, that's all right. In time, they'll appreciate it more. <clears throat> but I give you that little story, that little analogy to help us kind of get into the right mindset for what's going on in the book of first corinthians and as we get now to spiritual gifts first of all we're talking about the subject of gifts god gives he's giving god he gives but so often his people lack the maturity and i would use the word spirituality to fully appreciate what god has given them and that's exactly what was happening with the corinthians God had given them a bar of gold, and they were totally missing the value of what he, what he had given them. He had given them spiritual gifts. He had given them uh, supernatural abilities in the spirit to establish their church, to reach out to people around them. And all of those gifts were meant to glorify Jesus Christ, to bring the Corinthians together so they could be a united force reaching out to the world around them. And instead, they were playing in the box, basically. They were rummaging around like toddlers crawling around, not knowing what God really had for them. They were missing his true blessings. And that's what we're looking at this morning. You see, with the Corinthians, they had so many issues, and we've been talking about those issues as we've went through the book. So many places where they were foolish in their understanding. They lacked true spirituality. They lacked godliness. They lacked spiritual maturity. They were not growing up in Christ. They were behaving more like people in the world. But when it came now to the subject of gifts, God had given them these things, which we'll talk about. And what they had begun to do with these gifts is use them as a way to bring attention to themselves, to glorify themselves, to bicker about who was the greatest among them, who had the best gifts among them. That's what they were doing. Is that not what we would call childish in a lot of ways? That's what they were doing. 
they were so concerned about spiritual gifts that they were not becoming spiritual people. And that's the problem that Paul deals with now in this uh, part of the letter in chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Actually, chapters 12, 13, and 14 are Paul dealing with this misunderstanding on the part of the Corinthians. They were overvaluing these outward spiritual gifts. They were not valuing how the Spirit wanted to transform their hearts and bring them together and use them as a body to reach out to others. They had a uh, set of misplaced priorities, you might say, in that. They were more concerned about the gifts than they were about being the kind of people God had called them to be. So let's begin to walk through this passage. And we'll go ahead and read again verses 1 through 3 as we make a few points here. And Paul says to them, beginning in this section, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Well, what I see in these first three verses is the simple point that's on your outline, and that is the Spirit's work is always all about Jesus Christ. Okay, we're talking about a specific set of spiritual gifts here that I think is, there's a narrow idea that Paul's dealing with here in the realm of gifts. But just in Christianity in general, everything the Holy Spirit's doing is about bringing glory to Jesus Christ through you, in your life and through your life. And that's the principle that Paul's basically bringing out in this section to get their focus right, to bring them to spiritual maturity in these things. Now, they, we're talking about spiritual gifts here, uh, things they could do in the power of the Spirit that nobody else could do. And uh, one of the points I want to make here, and this speaks to a lot of things, uh, in Christianity that's gone on for years, but the the point I want to make on your outline, spiritual gifts are not proof of spirituality. You have to see that with the Corinthians. The things they were able to do were marvelous and miraculous. Prophesying, speaking in tongues, different things. It talks about miracles. There were things going on that no one could deny that the Holy Spirit was amongst them, but their life and their character was not in harmony with that. And so, right away, we see that just because someone had spiritual gifts, it didn't mean they were spiritual. It didn't mean they were godly. <clears throat> and I think it's important to say that because there's, there's been groups over, I don't know, say the last 60 or 70 years in Christianity that really put a, a, a very concentrated focus on what we're talking about in this area of spiritual gifts and, and the ability to do miraculous things. And, and saying such things that if you had more faith, you could do this. Or if you had more faith, this would happen to you. And, and we're getting such ideas from passages like this, but there's, a, I think, a failure to recognize what's going on in this passage. <clears throat> Some people believe that if you really were spiritual enough and had enough faith, you could do something like speak in tongues today. But it doesn't. We see if the Corinthians could do it, it had nothing to do with spirituality. If you just start remembering in your mind all the things that Paul had to deal with them on, all kinds of issues, division. There was sexual sin. There was um, infighting. Uh, the Lord's Supper was even a disaster, as we've talked about. These were not spiritual people. Matter of fact, he had said to them back in chapter 3, uh, verse 1, he said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. See, the Corinthians were getting the wrong idea. They thought because they could do these things, this meant they were spiritual. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. No, that's just a gift of God. He's given it to you, but it doesn't make you spiritual. You need to be spiritual, so you use these things the right way. So it was possible for an immature Christian to exercise miraculous gifts, so that's not the issue today. If somebody today can't speak in tongues or do miracles, it doesn't have to do anything to do with their spirituality. It has to do with what is God doing today, which we'll, as we'll see as we go on here. 
Now, verse 2 is interesting because Paul says, I want to talk to you about spiritual gifts, and I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know the reality of spiritual gifts and how God's using these today. And right away, he brings up how they were basically um, idol worshipers in their past. Right away, he says, you, were, you, you guys used to worship idols. He brings that right back in in verse 2. And it's interesting because you're like, well, why does he immediately start talking about idols again? He spent chapters 8, 9, and 10 talking about idols and their culture. You remember this? People were going to the idol temples to get meat, and there was issues coming up, and people were uh, stumbling in their faith because of these things. And Paul basically said, you need to leave all that behind for love's sake, to, to minister to your brethren in the Lord. Leave all that stuff behind. But here he brings up idol worship again. And it kind of, again, it makes kind of a funny question. Why does he do that here? And I think he's maybe pointing out some of the things that went on in the worship of idols in their culture. You know, people would go to temples back then, and people would get into trances, and, and, and some people in some cultures and religions, you know, they would cut themselves. That used to happen in Baal worship. And, and all kinds of emotional things and all kinds of things to try to create feelings at the, at the idol temple. And, and they would get all caught up in that. And so these Corinthians, a lot of them, they'd come out of that. That was something in their past. They had went to another place of worship, the idol temple, and, and got all riled up, perhaps in trances and spirituality type stuff, uh, more like a cult type stuff. And it may be that Paul brings that up to say, you're basically acting in the church like you did at the idol temples. God has not just substituted spiritual gifts for the idol. Uh, There's a higher standard. It's called be like Christ. (laughs) Be like Christ. That's where the Spirit wants to take you. That's his ministry, to conform us to the image of Christ. And so perhaps Paul brings up their idol past to remind them, don't get carried away here. You were carried away by idols. Don't get carried away here in the church. And it may have been that he puts that verse 2 in there because they were basically making an idol out of their spiritual giftedness. That that was what they were giving all their priority to, all their emphasis to. Look what I can do. And it was taking the focus off of Christ instead of using it to put the focus on him. So again, we see immediately a tone of correction here as Paul brings up that their idol past to help them understand Again, what God has for them now. Now, I can think back to when I was a child. I, I visited a couple of churches when I was a kid with, with some different people in my life. And uh, I remember, you know, in both of the churches I remember visiting, I probably visited others, but a couple stand out. Because when I went to those churches, uh, I saw things I didn't understand. that didn't make any sense to me as a kid. I saw people get up. And start talking, and I didn't understand a word they were saying, and other people were kind of jumping up and down, and some people were falling on the ground and, and, and kind of gyrating on the ground, and there was that kind of stuff going on. And as a kid, I was like, huh? <laughs> What's going on here? I didn't know, I didn't know how to understand it, I didn't know what was going on. I guess this is what God's doing, I don't understand it. And I can think back to those churches where I saw those kind of things, and 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 it's an honest assessment when I as I look back, I left those churches, I didn't know anything about how you were to be saved in Jesus Christ. I saw all these things happening. I saw people exercising what they would have called spiritual gifts, and yet I went away totally, no idea what the gospel of Jesus Christ was, just as lost as when I came in the doors to begin with. Now, I bring that up not to poke you know, fun at anybody or to disparage anybody, But I think that's similar to kind of how the Corinthians were. They were more interested in people looking at what they could do and getting all, you know, getting all kind of psyched up about what they could do. They were not emphasizing Jesus Christ in their ministry anymore. They're getting carried away with spiritual gifts. That was now the idol they were serving. Paul goes on in verse 3, and again he says, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he talks about idol stuff. 
And then immediately he says, and by the way, if somebody does have the spirit, here's some things they won't say, and here's some things they will say. And you're like, why does he have to say that? More than likely, these things were happening in their group. It very well may have been that some people were getting up and, and speaking in a tongue or something like that and saying things that he rebukes here. It's kind of hard to understand it any other way. If it wasn't happening, why would he be bringing it up? So some apparently were calling Jesus accursed while they were doing that. Now you think, now how can the world? So we don't, it's hard to know the whole picture. Maybe there were some people coming into their midst who were faking it just to be accepted and really didn't trust Christ and didn't really have spiritual gifts but were faking it. We don't know. It could be. But some were calling Jesus accursed. And some of them apparently were not confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord when they were in their public worship times. And this could be a warning against false teachers coming into their midst and saying these things. And so right away he sets these kind of these negative markers out there. Don't treat this like the idol worshipers treat it. Don't be saying these kind of things. The focus is on Jesus Christ. And, and so when he says that, only by the Spirit can one say Jesus is Lord. That's a true and genuine profession. The Spirit does that in people's hearts. They trust Christ. That's the kind of thing they're going to be saying. They're going to be living it out. The point is, the Spirit of God always glorifies the Son of God. And that's what I come away with verse, from verse 3. The Spirit of God always glorifies the Son of God. So, in this principle can be enlarged beyond just these spiritual gifts he's talking about. In the Christian life, if someone's claiming to be spiritual, but they're not glorifying Jesus Christ, then there's a problem. There's a contradiction. Everything in our life is meant to glorify Jesus Christ, and that's what the Spirit, again, is doing in our life. <clears throat> True spirituality... I'm going, to, I'm going to give you just a definition. True spirituality is dependency upon God the Father, demonstrated in walking after the Spirit, resulting in glorifying Jesus Christ. Again, true spirituality is dependency upon God the Father, demonstrated in walking after the Spirit, resulting in glorifying Jesus Christ. That applies to every area of the Christian life. Dependency upon God Walking after the Spirit, your life is glorifying Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to produce in every one of our lives. That's the Spirit's work. At this time, when Paul wrote the epistle to the Corinthians that we're reading, at that time, part of that included some of these gifts we're going to talk about. But the principle goes way, way beyond just these supernatural gifts. It goes, it, it goes to every area of our Christian life. Now, I told you when I was a kid and I visited some of these churches... It didn't really do me a whole lot of good. I came away more confused and bewildered and like, why are they doing that? What's going on here? Nobody's explaining it. Nobody's really even talking about Jesus Christ. Everybody's talking about, look what I can do in the Spirit. And like, okay, what does that mean for me? But I got a little older when I was in my early teen years. And I've told some of this story before. But I got involved in a Bible study group through my, my mother and my grandparents. Um, that did put the emphasis on Jesus Christ. When I attended this Bible study, nobody was, nobody was jumping up and down, nobody was laying on the floor, nobody was getting up and shouting things that nobody could understand. You know, again, it wasn't happening. So, and, uh, and I didn't miss it. <laughs> but, but I was uh, part of a group, and they were talking about the Word of God and bringing attention to Jesus Christ. And and. and Something I saw in their lives was a genuine care and compassion for me as a young person, like 14 years old. And I was like the only kid there. I was like the only young person in this group. Everybody else was probably at least 40 <laughs> or older at the time. But these people would come alongside me in different ones, would encourage me in different ways, and include me in different ways, and show genuine care, genuine love. And you know, that's, the, that's ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit, is bringing about 
well, faith, hope, and love. We're going to talk about that in chapter 13, the things that remain until we go home, and love goes forever. But he produces these things in our heart. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what we see in God's grace is, is again, a shift of focus from outward supernatural gifts of the Spirit to the Spirit's work on the inside where he instead is producing the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those things. That's the work of the Spirit. That's how we attract people today. That's what brought me to Christ, was fruits of the Spirit in other people's life. It wasn't miracle, wasn't prophecy, wasn't a tongue, wasn't anything like that. It was the fruit of the Spirit. Because I'll say to you, we see what the Corinthians demonstrated in their very life, it's easier for God to, to have you speak in a tongue than it is for God to teach you how to trust in him on, on your daily life and be godly. <laughs> That's the true miracle. There's no greater testimony to the Spirit's work than a life transformed by Jesus Christ. And the Corinthians were missing that. So caught up, again, playing with the box, ignoring the bar of gold that God had put before them. So we go on here, chapter chapter 12, 4 through 11, and now he begins to kind of talk about some of the gifts that he's talking about. Let me read 4 through 6 here. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Here we see the principle of unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. And, and you always see it in God. God is unity in diversity. He's one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And then he's going to talk later in chapter 12 about how we're all one body. But not everybody's the same member, just like your physical body. You are a body of so many different you know, physiological components and systems. You have your cardiovascular system, your respiratory system, your digestive system, your muscular system, your skeletal system, right? Your nervous system, all the, it's, it's, it's all diverse things, and yet it's perfect unity, one body, physically speaking. And he says that's kind of how the church is to be. All kinds of different members, all kinds of different giftedness, all the spirit leading people in different directions, but everybody united, everybody one body. It's all for his glory. And that's what he's getting into right now as he emphasizes the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. He says, no matter the differences between you and what you can do or what you can do or what you can't do or what you don't feel good at doing or whatever the case is, we all are serving the same Lord here. It's all because of the same spirit. It's all God's work in our lives. And so that leads us to say that the spirit's work always leads to unity. That's what the spirit's doing. So Paul is sort of poking at the Corinthians a little bit, going, you're so spiritual, right? Then why is there no unity amongst you? Why are you always fighting? Is that the spirit of God? That's what he's getting at here. The one spirit gifts individuals to bless the body of Christ. Uh, We'll see that as we get into verse 7, especially he talks about the prophet of all. But, but the reason that these gifts were being given, that's what Paul's saying here. It's all meant to help the body grow. And, and any way the Lord might gift an individual is always meant to help the body of Christ grow, to help us to be more united, to help us to become more mature in our faith so that we can be more equipped to reach out to the world we live in. And I, and I love, again, verses 4, 5, and 6. Differences of gifts, but only one spirit that gave them all. That's on the individual level a little bit. Then he says there's differences of ministries, different ways people serve, different ministries they may be involved in. You know, they may be involved in a preaching ministry, a given ministry, some kind of a mercy ministry. What serving is, he says, and that's the same Lord. It's all service rendered to the same Lord. So don't get fighting about that. And then finally, he says it's, it's diversities of activities. And the word there, activities in the Greek, has the idea of working. And, and, and you could look at it like the idea of effects, or, or to some degree even results. That anything that comes of your gifts and anything that comes of your service is still all credit goes to God for bringing it about. It's all his work in and through you. It's all 
back to God. It goes back earlier when Paul talked about him and Apollos earlier in this book, and he says, I watered, or Apollos planted, I watered. Maybe I'm mixing that up, but he says, God gave the increase. The work was still God's work. It's always God's work. And he says, God works all things in all people. And that's that all in all that you read in your Bible. That's in the Greek, it's all things and all, all people and all things. All things and all people. That anybody in the body of Christ that's doing anything for the Lord, that's God's work. And anything that's happening because of it is God's work. So Corinthians, <laughs> he said, you need to take a step back and look at this. This is God. This is not you. It's not about you. Again. It's meant to bless, not to divide, not to be bragged about, not to be coveted after. And that's something we, we sometimes see is, is one coveting the gifts of another. But in verse 7 he says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And I'm going to talk about that verse just for a second here. Uh, first of all, he says the manifestation of the Spirit. And the word for manifestation is the idea of like bring the light. It's, it's, it's outward. It's display. It's like how we shine this light up on the projector for you to see. That's kind of what the word's talking about. So that leads me to conclude, and we'll talk about these gifts in just a moment. He lists nine different gifts in this immediate passage we're talking about this morning. And he puts them under the label of the manifestation of the Spirit, which leads me to believe that the nine gifts he's got in mind are more outward, showy gifts that were meant to bring attention to God's work in that time and place. Another word we sometimes would call these kind of gifts are sign gifts, where it was clear they were supernatural. It was like a spiritual empowerment in the moment where people could do things that normal people couldn't do, such as speak in a tongue, such as prophesy, utter something right from the heart of God. And these different things were happening. Miracles, healings, uh, those kinds of things. It was meant to show to the world, these people have the Spirit of God. So you ought to be listening to what they're saying. We talked a little bit about this last week in the context of the Lord's Supper. God was doing things at this time to establish in the world the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, that people can be saved by grace through faith alone. He was moving away from how he was dealing with the nation of Israel. He was moving away from the plan, not permanently, but in the, in the temporary. I'm not going to put Jesus Christ on the throne of David right now. I'm not going to put Jesus Christ in the heart of Israel to rule over the world right now. He's not going to pour out his wrath on the world like the prophets talk about and like the book of Revelation talks about. He says, I'm going to put that on hold. And what I'm going to do now is send out the gospel of Jesus Christ and give this world another chance to trust in him by the grace of God. And to do something like that, God needed to put his stamp of approval on it so nobody could argue with it. That's what these gifts were about. People in Corinth, right next door to the synagogue where the Jews congregated, neighbors all around them, Gentiles, Jews, pagans, people who didn't know Christ, whatever their background was, they could look at the Corinthian church and they'd be like, did you see that? Did you see what he did? How can he do that? How can they do that? And they would say, because God, let me tell you about him, okay? God was establishing his gospel of grace in the world. That's why these gifts, these, these showy sign gifts on display, manifesting the power of the Spirit in a very real, visible, tangible way, so people, people would, would not be able to deny that it was God. <clears throat> well, that's again where the Corinthians were going wrong. It was all about the show to them. It's all about bringing attention to them. They were forgetting why God gave them these gifts in the first place. <clears throat> but again, he's emphasizing it's, it's one spirit gives them all. And that's, that's kind of the, the undertone of this passage is you have more in common than you have different. And it doesn't matter what God's given you individually or collectively as a group or whatever. You're not better than or worse than any other believer in the body of Christ. He's gifting everybody as he wills to bring about God's will, <clears throat> bring people to him. That's what he's doing. Now, sometimes we fall into a trap, and I think the Corinthians were doing this. See, in Corinth, it seems like, because of how Paul writes in chapters 12, 13, and 14, what they were doing is taking the gift of tongues and putting it at the very top. Like, if you've got tongues, that's the best. 
And that may sound familiar to some of us because plenty of churches do that today. If you can speak in tongues, that's the number one criteria. And it's like, okay, <laughs> what about chapter 12 here? What about chapter 13? And we'll see that as we go through these chapters. But they were putting tongues at the very tip-top. Oh, that's the best thing you could ever hope to have happen to you. And Paul, when he lists these gifts here, notice what he lists last. Tongues and interpretation. He lists other things above that. When he gets into chapter 14, he's going to tell them, well, actually, it's better that you prophesy than speak in a tongue, because if you speak in a tongue and somebody there doesn't understand, they go away with no benefit. So how can that be better than if you utter a word of prophecy that teaches everybody? So he does that in chapter 14. Basically, he's correcting. They're putting tongues on the tip-top pedestal here, and he's saying, no, 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 no. No, same spirit. Everything has its purpose. Everything has its place. Don't get carried away here. These are for the profit of all. These are all meant to bless the body of Christ. And sometimes we can be like the Corinthians. We start glamorizing some gifts over others. You know, a missionary comes. And we, we praise the Lord for missionaries. That's a special calling. I totally believe that. It's, it's very sacrificial ministry. It's not for everyone. It's really not. But sometimes a missionary comes and people kind of like so glamorize the role of a missionary that maybe they want to be a missionary because they see the attention, they see it looks like an interesting lifestyle. And, and, and I think some people have went into the mission field, maybe not for the right reasons because of that, because they, they, they got kind of caught up in the glamour of it. Same thing, pastoral ministry or, or preaching ministry. <clears throat> you can be listening to people and think like, boy, I, God's really using them. I want God to use me like that. And maybe you're going down a path that God doesn't have for you. That's possible. And it can happen at any level. You know, we have a real tendency in our culture <clears throat> to get on Facebook or some other social media and be like, in your heart, be like, oh, I wish I could do that. Or why can't I do that? Or why doesn't my life look like that? Those kinds of thoughts. But we can do that in the area of spiritual gifts where we glamorize certain things. And we think, well, that's up there up front. That's ministry. What I'm doing back here, that's something else. And that's not true. That's not true. Your life as a Christian is ministry. Your life as a Christian is worship. And everything you do on a daily basis is ministry and worship of God. And it doesn't matter if you're sweeping the floor. It doesn't matter if you're just trying to be a godly mom at home. God is gifting you. He is placing you in different areas of your life because that's where he wants you. Because it's according to his will as we see at the end of this passage. So we have to be careful about glamorizing certain things over another. Sometimes people wonder, like, well, I don't know exactly what God wants me to do or how, how, you know, maybe I feel a burden to do something more and I'm not sure. And I think the best advice you can ever get is simply just grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ right now. Serve God where you're at right now. Walk with him. And I believe the Spirit will lead you into whatever ministry or giftedness or whatever role it is. He will lead you. But he's using you right now. We get this thing sometimes. We think, well, I'm not being used today, but if I get over here, then God can use me. No, 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 no. He's using you today, wherever you're at. There's a plan for today. It may lead somewhere tomorrow, but there's a plan for today. That's where God has you right now. You just continue to walk by faith in what he's doing in your life right now. Let's read the rest of this passage here. And look at the diversity of gifts that Paul specifically mentions. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. Simple, the Spirit gifts individuals in diverse ways to bring about the will of God. And Paul explains that right here, and he lists, again, nine different gifts, nine different manifestations of the Spirit that the Corinthians were undoubtedly familiar with. Some of them practiced. They had seen what these things looked like. And again, I see these, these nine here in this context as the outward sign gifts that, that were for a, a reason at that time. And that these gifts, over time, they were no longer needed and they passed away. 
let me just go over to chapter 13 real quick, and let's just read uh, verses uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 13 to see where Paul's going with this. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, why would he start with tongues here? Because, again, I think that's where they were starting. That's the best. He says, Even though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You see, that, he says, that, that's how useful my tongues are when I don't have love. Bang, 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 bang. That's how useful it is. Wonderful. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And there he talks about prophecy and talks about knowledge. And I think he's talking about, again, these special spiritual gifts that some in that church had at that time. And as you go down to verse 8, skip to verse 8 of chapter 13, love never fails, or you can substitute the word ceases. That's his point. Love never ceases. In all of God's working through all of time into eternity, love is the constant. It has not a temporary purpose. It's a permanent purpose. But... Whether there are prophecies or that gift of being able to just to speak for God in the moment, they will fail or cease. Whether there are tongues, the ability to speak supernaturally in another language without knowing that language, that will cease. Whether there is knowledge, and I think specifically here he's talking about a special supernatural gift of knowledge, it will vanish away. What he begins to explain in chapter 13 to the Corinthians is, you're missing what matters most. Love through the Spirit. That's what matters most. And you're missing that over these, these gifts, these wow gifts. But those wow gifts aren't going to be around much longer. And then what are you going to have? The way you're going, you're not going to have anything. You have nothing. See, he's getting them on the right perspective. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, they were going to pass away. And he explains that in chapter 13. As the word of God was coming into completion in that time, these special supernatural gifts were no longer needed because there was no longer needed special revelation. Nobody, we didn't need a supernatural gift of prophecy to utter something from God directly or a supernatural gift of knowledge in the moment. To know something, there's no other way you could know it. Or to be able to speak in tongues to convince people that the Spirit was upon you. As the word of God became completed and God's dispensation of grace became established, the need for those things was no more. And that's our understanding of these supernatural sign gifts that Paul's specifically talking about here in verses 8 through 10. Let's walk through them real quick. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. He means the, the idea of word there means a message. You get a message of knowledge or wisdom to give to the church or to an individual. It seems like it's talking about the Spirit giving somebody a message of those things in the moment. Perhaps it was similar to how Solomon had unmatched wisdom in his day. You remember Solomon, and he was given supernatural wisdom, and he could make all these judgment calls. He just didn't apply his wisdom to his marriage life. (laughs) Anyway, you can look that up. And then the gift of knowledge. There's actually an example in the book of Acts of something like this, perhaps. In Acts chapter 4, there's an an event where the the Jewish disciples who were in Jerusalem, who were waiting for Christ to return and, and hopefully establish his kingdom soon, they were selling what they had and having things common. And there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. You remember their names in Acts chapter 4? They came, but they had hatched a plan. They were going to sell it and then bring only part of it to Peter and to the apostles and say, yeah, this was all it was, and they were keeping some back, which kind of shows that they didn't really buy into the plan. They really, like, I can trust God with this much, but not all of it. <laughs> I'm going to keep plan B in my back pocket here. And they agreed not to tell Peter what they were doing. And they showed up, and what? Peter knew. How do he know? Because the Spirit revealed it to him in his inward heart. He was given a word of knowledge. He knew it. He said, why have you lied? Ananias died, because that's something that also that God was doing back then. There were certain special times of judgment. Then Sapphira came later. She died as well for their lying 
to the Holy Spirit. But it was revealed to Peter in the moment. Perhaps that's similar to what Paul's talking about, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. He goes on in chapter 9, and he says, To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healings. Now, personally, the gift of faith here to me is the most challenging one. Because why? Because in Scripture, you always need faith. And it's a choice. Faith is a choice. Everybody has the capacity for faith. You trust your pew right now. You are exercising faith in your pew because you're sitting in it. You're totally resting in it. You have complete and utter confidence in it that it's not going to drop you on the floor right now. You're exercising faith. You get that? Simple, right? Faith is simple. And we exercise faith in all kinds of things. We need to exercise faith in in our Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And that's not what he's talking about here because he's talking to people who are saved. So that's not what he's talking about. But we're always called to trust God with the things of our lives and trust him and his will. So so faith is always present. It's always something we call to. And, And then we get thinking about amounts of faith. But even in the Gospels, when the disciples came up to Jesus and were talking, and, uh, and, and how did it, they said, uh, Lord, um, help us to have more faith. Maybe that's in Mark, I'm thinking. Help us to have more faith, they asked him. And he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, right? You can move it with a little bit of faith. So, so more faith, I don't know that that's what it's talking about. So it's like, what is a, a gift of faith in this context? It's a little bit difficult. It may just be, and I'm just submitting to you because I don't pretend to know exactly what specifically this is in this context, but it may just be a special endowment of confidence in a moment. You know, sort of like when um, in the Acts period, you read about sometimes the disciples were just, they were filled with boldness. It was like a movement of faith in them. They were filled with boldness by the Spirit, and they'd stand up to the Pharisees or to the leaders of Israel. You see examples of that in Acts chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, those, those places in Scripture. It could be that that's what the gift of faith was talking about, a special endowment of the moment of a confidence in God to go through a very difficult challenge or, 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 or something like that. It's hard to know for sure, but it could be something down that line. The next one's a lot easier, right? Gifts of healings. You see that all over the place. People lay hands on, people be cleaned of leprosy, healed of paralytics, could run and jump and leap. Sometimes people are even raised from the dead. I don't know. That may be more the miracle he talks about rather than the healing. Because do you really heal somebody already dead? It's something maybe a different category. But anyway, but it's all these healings in the book of Acts you can read about. Matter of fact, even Paul at one point, they could take his handkerchief, run it across town, and just to touch his handkerchief brought healing of some of their infirmities. That was something that nobody could deny the Spirit of God was doing. And we get a lot of people saying today that they can heal, right? We talk about faith healers, and they're on TV and asking for money, and, and they vanished when the pandemic broke out. I don't know they, what happened to them. Anyway, I'm poking fun. I'm sorry. Gifts of healings were undeniable. They were undeniable. <clears throat> he goes on in uh, verse 10, and he lists a few more. Miracles can be a large category, but probably things like raising people from the dead, casting out demons. The apostles did that early. The early church was doing those things. It was evidence the Spirit of God was upon them. To another, prophecy. And again, I think specifically he's talking about people could stand up and prophesy something. One example was a prophet named Agabus in um, Acts chapter 11. They were, there was a church in a place called Antioch, and Agabus was there. And one day Agabus stood up, And he said, there's a famine coming. And they're like, all right, let's get ready for it. So he prophesied that there would be a famine in the early church there in Antioch. Acts chapter 11, verse 28. Those kinds of things were happening until God had established his word and established his message of grace. Now, discerning of spirits is probably grouped with prophecy because the early church was taught when somebody stands up and says they're prophesying, You need to discern because there's also false prophets out there. There's people that would stand up and claim that. Maybe that's why earlier he said anybody, nobody of the Spirit calls Jesus a curse. Maybe they heard people stand up and say, I got a prophecy. Jesus is not God. You ever hear a false prophet in our time say things like that? Us all the time. That's where we get the cults. (laughs) That's where we get pseudo-Christian cults. Guys stand up and say, Lord gave me a new message. 
We were wrong about Jesus. We need to read my book, not the Bible, you know, that kind of stuff. You've got discerning the spirits. There were some people endowed by the spirit that when they heard a prophecy, the spirit put on them, true or false, right? That'd make you think twice about getting up and saying something, right? Because <laughs> you know somebody else is gifted to call, to call you out if you're telling something wrong. Anyway, but you can see the necessity because when somebody stands up and utter then, we think, well, let me see, is that in the Bible? Guess what? They didn't have a Bible yet. It was being written, but it wasn't distributed. They were, they were left a lot of times to the prophets in their church to tell them what God was doing or waiting for a letter like this. It wasn't yet fully established. He talks about uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues at the end of the list here, and that's probably the easiest to understand. And in in Acts, the gift of a tongue was the ability to speak in a real earthly language that you had never studied before. And the biggest example of that happens in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when the Spirit came on them, and it was the first thing they, were, they, were, they started to do. And maybe that's why the Corinthians put tongues first, because it was the first thing that people saw at, at Pentecost. I don't know. But they spoke, and people from other parts of the world were like, whoa, they're speaking my language. And that carried over. And you can see the utility of that. I'm going to tell you, there's lots of missionaries out there that wish they could have a gift of tongues so they wouldn't have to go to language school for two, three, four years in some cases to learn very complex languages that are in the world so they can minister to people. But they could speak languages they did not know. And then there were people who could interpret those because sometimes somebody would stand up in the church and they would say something and And if you weren't from wherever they're talking from, you wouldn't know what they're saying. And there's times when somebody would stand up and start talking, and they were probably saying something very coherent if you knew the language, but nobody in the group knew the language. So there was interpreters of tongues. It was sort of like the reverse gift of tongues. They could hear it and know what it was and be able to tell the people there without study, without learning it. They just, the Spirit did it. It was a miracle in the moment. And you can, again, kind of see where the Corinthians were getting so big on tongues because it is one of the more visible ones. I mean, you think healings and miracles would be up there too. But it's something easy. It's something that people could claim, but there was still test with it. You can see that more in chapter 14. He actually tells them in chapter 14, again, it doesn't do any good to get up and speak in a tongue if nobody's there to interpret because you're just leaving people in the dark. You'd be better off giving a prophecy. So anyway. You can read ahead to chapter 14 if you want to look at that more. The point is, the Spirit, again, was given all these gifts. It was his will at the time, what God was doing at the time. We believe that these specific ones have passed away, but there are still gifts. And this is what we have to really be strong on, because some say it's all passed away. But that's, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'd like to talk a long time about that, but I'll leave some of that for weeks ahead. But I can just right away give you a couple other passages that you can read. Romans chapter 12 and in Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul talks about other gifts. Like um, leadership and and giving and showing mercy, uh, teaching, things like that. And, And some of those things... You know, not every gift in the Bible is meant to be thought of as a soup, like, like the Spirit of God comes upon you and you're just doing something you've never known you could do before, like a superhero kind of a thing, right? It's not, that, not every gift in the Bible is like that. Some things are more subtle. Some things are God's leading you or, or has given you a talent or an ability that maybe kind of stands out. And, and the, I think the, the biblical way of looking at anybody's ability is, is it's always a gift, even if it's not like one of these kinds of gifts. It's always a gift. It's always God's got a purpose for it, and not everybody's called to the same ministry. Not everybody's doing the same thing. Even though we would say the sign gifts have passed away, there is still the body of Christ, and everybody is a different member, and everybody, God has a work for all to do, and he equips each one uniquely and individually to do that work, and that is giftedness. And he calls different people to different ministries and leads them and so forth. There are still gifts today. There's still a diversity of gifts. But what he's talking about here were these outward showy gifts that were meant. They had a purpose in the time. But the Corinthians were getting carried away and getting outside the will of God in how they were using these gifts. 
Verse 11 closes again, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. You want to know the will of God? You just keep walking with the Lord day by day, and he's going to direct you. He'll lay things on your heart for you to do. You don't have to go around and try to, like, well, what do you think I should do? Well, you know, actually, actually some wisdom in people confirming that you are gifted in a, in a way. But we shouldn't be sitting around thinking God's not using us right now because he's using somebody else differently. Now, I, through my life, and I've kind of explained it already a little bit, but through my life, I have been blessed by spiritual people who exercise the gifts God had given them. And by the stories I told you this morning, you know that I'm not talking about tongues and that kind of a stuff that we're reading about in our Bibles this morning. None of those gifts ever helped me do anything. But God's work in other Christians' hearts has, has been a mighty influence in my life. I've been taught by gifted teachers. I've heard messages from gifted preachers. I've read books from gifted writers. I've heard music from gifted, gifted musicians. I've been encouraged by gifted encouragers. I've been helped by generous givers. I've seen the Spirit's work in others who loved and served Jesus Christ with what he provided them. And I believe I see that here in this church as well. People using their gifts for God's glory. It's not about showmanship. It's simply about serving out of an attitude of humility and love for one another and, and toward our Lord as well. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and just the encouragement it brings, the challenge sometimes it brings, Lord, to us, even as this passage speaks to our heart, again, about are we using our gifts for your glory and to bring unity, or do sometimes do we let our gifts uh, be a source of pride or something like that, Lord, and may it not be so. Just continue to keep our hearts humble before you that we do continue to walk by faith in you day by day so that we do the work you've called us to, and we continue to walk in the Spirit as he directs us today, as he carries out your will today, Father. May we be sensitive to his leading in our lives. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.